Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Gigi Goldman, co-founder of Kopari. Welcome, Gigi. Thank you. So happy to be here and to see you again. I know, Gigi. It's been a minute, but like yeah. it's been a very, very busy month since our last uh, getchup. It has. Gigi, before we get into what's been going on right now mm-hmm. and in 2020, tell us a little bit about when you started Kopari, because that was back in 2015. And, you know, the idea of starting uh, a product line or a brand with one hero ingredient or using that as a tactic was mm-hmm. very, very different in 2015. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think there were a lot of things that were really different about what we started and kind of put us on the map. I mean, to begin, I was a stay-at-home mom for 12 years, and I was using coconut oil in the kitchen um, to cook with because I was really concerned about health and wellness for me and my entire family. I've got three kids. Um, and I had read it had so many amazing hair and skin benefits. So I started using it on me, on my kids, on my father. I don't know if you see have seen my big fat Greek wedding where they use Windex to solve all their problems. Well, I was that way with coconut oil. And I had that aha moment. Um, my husband was in the beauty business for three generations. He had always wanted to start a product line. Um, so I went to him with the idea. And in our 40s, with three kids, a mortgage, and the whole nine yards, we decided to take a leap. And I think the reason we had um, the, you know, the will to do that is because we both looked at each other and said, you know, I rather at the end of my life know I tried than always wonder what if. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, not only did you start this business with your husband, Mm -hmm. but you also started with two other co-founders. So will you walk us through a little bit what that was like? Because what were each of you doing when you were concepting this? Yeah. So um, we went to our partner one Saturday morning. Um, He was an old college friend, had a lot of experience in um, entrepreneurship. He started Suja Juice. And we went with our little bag of products in our pajamas. And we just brought him the idea. And he's like, you're never going to believe this. Three people have come to me with a similar concept in the past two weeks. And he's one of those people that when he senses that synergy out in the world, he puts the pedal to the metal. And one of those people was our other co-founder, Kiana. So we all met in New York got to know each other, and a month later, we all jumped in. The timing was right. We were all aligned on the vision. We wanted to make clean beauty fun. At the time, none of the retailers had clean beauty sections. It was more, um, you know, for the Whole Foods, and it was kind of perceived as granola. So we wanted to make it colorful, fun. Um, The other thing is we wanted more of a lifestyle brand that represented how we lived in Southern California and Hawaii, where Kiana's from. So So I think in our feed and in our packaging, you see the wave that's the ocean. Um, You see the bright colors, the fun language. We say we give a stiff middle finger to sulfates. Like it's playful, clean beauty that incorporates that Southern California lifestyle. So back in 2015, you know, you mentioned that retailers weren't really adopting um, a clean beauty stance. Mm -hmm. It was new to the market Mm -hmm. and, you know, especially was not uh, at all familiar in the personal care space. Right. Because you touched both categories. Will you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that CPG angle and beauty? Because now every CPG brand is also a beauty brand and kind of vice versa. Yeah. So we originally launched with body care, which I think was a white space um, for both retailers and in the clean beauty space. There was a lot of skincare that was starting to trend that was more focused on the face. But our vision from the beginning was to create a multi-category brand 
brand because the way coconut oil is used throughout the world is they use it as a deodorant. They use it to clean their teeth. They use it to cleanse their skin, to hydrate their body, their hair. So our vision was always to be multi-category. So we launched with body, then we launched with skincare, and then our most recent launch was in the personal care space. Um, so I think that the our deodorant is really what has become our hero skew. I think the timing was right. I think people are looking to make that switch. And I think people really gravitated towards our aluminum and baking soda-free deodorant because it works. And that's hard to find. Um, so again, our vision from the beginning has evolved um, in terms of the fact that, you know, we're multi-category, but where we place our emphasis now is based on the consumer's interest. Will you talk about the deodorant piece? Because, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned this because now there's, you know, so many different Mm -hmm. kind of clean or aluminum-free or natural deodorants on the market, but they're still known largely as deodorant brands. Even Schmitz or Native, for as much as they've done and been acquired, they're sticking in that lane, even though they've expanded to multi-categories. Do you think that your ability to start in body care and skin really allowed you to have more leverage? Or what do you think that was about? I think that what we've done with deodorant is we've made it part of your beauty routine. Explain that a little bit. So I, I think that we've made deodorant kind of playful and sexy. Instead of it being that thing like, oh, I got to go get my deodorant, it's kind of this experiential um, element in your beauty routine. I was laughing the other day because I took a picture in my hotel room and I had all of my Kapari products laid out in my bathroom. And I was like, we are bringing simplicity and a little ray of sunshine to every aspect of your routine, whether it's your body care your face, or your personal care. So I say we're personal care for your everywhere. So it's kind of changing the dynamic. I think, though, what's important is when you're not in one specific category, you really need to articulate why to the consumer so they don't get confused. Because I think they need to know, you know, what can I buy from Kapari? Because they may think of you as that deodorant. And then you need to, you know, re-engage them in a conversation and let them know, hey, we have all these other products too. I think a lot of people outside of the industry think of you as a much older brand and think you guys have been around. We're babies. (laughs) Been around for a lot longer. And I think some of that, before we move on to the retail piece and how much of a footprint you guys have, is also the investor piece. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, Celebrity investors was a yeah. big part of your origin story. Mm-hmm. You know, Ashton Kutcher, Carly Claus, mm-hmm. like all of these people. Tell us about what that was like, because I know today that's a very um, interesting tactic that brands are using to kind of get marketing out mm-hmm. of it. What was that like for you? Well, one, I think it's great third-party validation. A lot of celebrities are really smart investors today. And so I think for us, it was just great validation that we had something very special. Um, it was part of the brand, but we never have thought of ourselves as a celebrity you know, brand. We're more um, grassroots in a sense. So that celebrity investment helped um, put us on the map. But a lot of the interest from retailers and investors came before that. 
were people ever confused at the beginning, you know, when they heard Ashton or Carly or whoever was getting involved that this was a celebrity pet project versus, you know, what you and Bryce and everyone built? I don't think so because they came in about a year into the business. So we had already established the brand. And I think the brand is more than the founders. It's more than the celebrity investors. It's something that people are attracted to because of the visuals and kind of the scents, the textures. So I think it's really um, about more than a product. It's that transportive feeling in the middle of your day when it may be gray outside or you may be tired in the morning that just gives you that little ray of sunshine. So I think the brand's bigger than all of us. Talk about that, Gigi, because, you know, today in beauty, the founder seems to be so important. Everybody wants to be a founder. Everybody, every founder wants to be on Instagram, you know, showing what they're doing behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. in front of the camera. Um, And you guys are much quieter, you know, all four of you. And and do you think that there has been a demand or a, an interest from parties, whether it's retailers or investors, for you to get more in front of things? Well, I think that um, what the consumers are really eager to understand is why did you start the brand? What's the story behind it? They want to You know, people, I think, today want to feel connected in this social, digital world. And so I don't think it's about me necessarily, but it's feeling connected or the other founders. But I think it's feeling connected beyond just a product and an Instagram photo. So I recently um, had lunch with um, a lot of content creators, influencers, bloggers. And I said, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? This is a partnership. I want to build that relationship. And they said, you know what we're seeking? exactly what we were doing right now, which was an intimate lunch, getting to know each other, understanding the people behind the brand, what makes you tick, why you're developing a product. So I think that's where the interest in the founder is. It's more about connection than being the face. How have you approached influencer marketing? I know that you guys have had a a lot of really um, exciting launches in the sexual wellness category as well as in the CBD Mm -hmm. category. And these are really buzzy topics, but also kind of taboo topics. Have Mm -hmm. you used influencers in a different way than you guys have historically? Or or what's your approach there? So I think, um, like everything, things change so quickly and evolve. And I think the one thing that's stayed consistent that we've discovered with influencers and um, content creators and bloggers is it's really about the relationship, growing together, um, allowing them to have the freedom to talk about products that they really love, but then it also needs to be mutually um, beneficial financially. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do. They're trying to grow their audience and make money, and we're trying to grow our audience and sell product. But it goes back to those basic things um, that's partnership, relationship, collaboration. So while the strategy may have shifted a little from macro to micro, um, and, you know, there's different tools where you can analyze people to make sure that you have similar audiences, et cetera. I think it's a bit of art and science, but again, it goes back to that relationship. How are you guys navigating what I've heard is some pretty outrageous numbers in the paid landscape? Like, do you feel that there's a retraction from that, from your perspective? 
Yeah. Again, I think it goes back to creating a partnership and relationship that's mutually beneficial. But I think when people know um, the people behind the scenes, like the founders and the team, they're more engaged in the brand. And I think their audience can feel that authenticity. And I think that things, you know, work better for both of us. So you don't have a dance either way on doing paid or not doing paid or what's your you know what I don't I think it's so individual one for the company and the influencer Um, I think it's about talking about the best terms for everyone so I'm not going to say if another brand's paying a lot of money that they're doing it wrong because it may be working out really well for them I think there's a balance right What about with retailers? Because you guys have such a wide footprint in Mm -hmm. so many different channels. You know, you're in Ulta, you're in Sephora, Nordstrom, all the different outfitter doors. Mm -hmm. You know, talk to us a little bit about why you're in each of those places and what that's satisfying. Because you don't have the whole assortment in each environment, correct? Mm -hmm. So we really tailor our assortment to each retailer and we collaborate with them to see what's really going to be mutually beneficial for each retailer. So you have to consider a price point. You have to consider assortment. Um, You have to consider if it's a lifestyle store, maybe, you know, skincare is not their priority. It's more the grab and goes. So we really work to each retailer so we can maximize sales. Um, For us, when we launched our business, we were D2C. We were six months in. We got a call from every major retailer in the world. We were all in awe and shock. We were like, pinch me. I mean, I remember the first email we sent back and we're all reviewing it, trying to make sure the link worked and everything. Um, So it's been incredible. And I think the main reason that we launched with retailers is a couple fold. One, we want it to be as convenient as possible for the consumer. We want it to be where they were shopping, where our audience was shopping. And then we also wanted to be online so they could, you know, have a choice. Two, um, our retail partnerships have been tremendously beneficial in terms of brand awareness, marketing. I mean, we're in 1,200 Ulta doors. We're in their windows this month. Um, They included us in their magazine, which they have, I think, 20 million, you know, people who get that magazine. So, um, It's been great exposure for us from a marketing perspective. Also, I think people want to touch and feel and experience beauty. So it's a great avenue in retail for them to do that. How do you kind of support that many doors, though? Because it is Mm -hmm. so um, taxing from an inventory perspective, from a marketing, from a sampling perspective. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not easy. You're totally right. (laughs) It's not easy, um, but it's worth the effort. So I always say anytime you're considering resources, you have to say, what's the projected revenue? And then match the resources to that projected revenue. Um, So that's the strategy we take with all of our retailers and all of our efforts, whether it be a product launch or anything within um, the Kapari walls. So on that note, Gigi, what can you tell me about growth? I know you guys just got that pretty large investment from El mm-hmm. last year to accelerate the business. So yeah. what are you guys forecasting? So um, that money came in. And again, you like you said, it takes a lot to support these doors. So it's not only to support our current doors, um, but we also launched in China last year or at the end of the year. Um, and we're just really looking to expand that footprint um, and 
continue to create innovative products. We just launched our CBD line, which has been hugely successful, and we're continuing to build out that skincare um, and body care routine for everyone. Any percentages, hardline figures you can share, Gigi? Um, you know I have to ask. Today. <laughs> no, I know. Great question. Um, we're continuing. We're on a you know we're a growth company. We're four years old, um, so we've got high expectations for ourselves. Um, we're going to do it efficiently um, and in a way that's, you know, sound business. But um, the growth is definitely there. And we're going to continue to maximize the doors we're in. We have so much opportunity. And it's about maximizing that opportunity. So is that a little bit what's happening right now with Ulta and the CBD collection, because that's also D2C on your own site and then also with Ulta, correct? Yes. Ulta has gotten behind our CBD in a big way. And I think the reason being is because one, it makes such sense with the brand. Since the beginning, we've always said we kick coconut byproducts up a notch with natural ingredients. So we use ingredients like hibiscus oil, um, avocado oils, we've got pineapple and papaya enzymes. Um, And CBD made perfect sense with coconut oil because coconut oil has one of the highest fatty acid concentrations of any oil, which makes it a great carrier oil and allows for maximum absorption. So um, we really decided to launch our CBD collection when we found the most premium CBD on family farms in Oregon. And it's really unique. It comes in a powder format. And um, we cold press the CBD so we don't have to use any chemicals to extract it. We use the whole plant, not just the seed or the leaf, because the whole plant has multitude of benefits. Um, it's not psychoactive. I know a lot of my friends are like, wait, CBD? I mean, is that going to affect me um, in terms of like the way I'm thinking? I'm like, no, 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 no. That's something totally different. Um So it's the perfect pair, and I've had a lot of personal experiences, including my father-in-law, who had health issues, who used CBD to really soothe um, his body and skin. And when I saw what an impact it had on him, I really wanted to bring it to the broader market. Do you think that it's confused at all your coconut stance in the sense that, you know, one hero ingredient, this other hero ingredient, everyone's talking about CBD. Like what should people be focusing on within the Kapari landscape? I think um, people not only in the Kapari landscape, but everywhere should be focusing on products that are great that are good, that really work. I mean, we put so much effort into each of our formulas, um, but we still incorporate some aspect of coconut, whether it be the water, the oil, the shells, but we're so much more than coconut too. We incorporate other natural ingredients that really have those benefits. Um, I think people are really concerned about the clean aspect too. Like what am I putting on my body? Is it healthy? Um, So I think that from a Kapari perspective, it's like choose the products that work best for you. If one doesn't, we have a whole, you know, range of other ones for you. Yeah. What's been the perception? You know, a lot of, um, CBD brands kind of came out of the gate, CBD only, we're a CBD company, and then faced a lot of um, various regulations with it, with mm-hmm. pre-farm bill and post, Google restrictions, Facebook restrictions. Mm-hmm. You're a brand that's, you know, does a lot of other things and you're playing in this category. Is mm-hmm. there anything that surprised you about the the opaqueness of the space still? 
I think for us, um, we had a major retail partner that was really behind it. We both really believed in it. It made sense for the brand from the perspective of how well the coconut oil and coconut water um, marry with the CBD. And when we found our CBD, which is proprietary just to us, we really felt like we had a unique position in the marketplace and we created products that really work. So, I mean, I look at the landscape a lot, but I also believe in doing what you believe in and creating products that you really use and you've seen other people use that have benefits. I spend a lot of time in store um, and I see people use these products and I see the difference it makes in their life. I read the reviews. I'm really connected to the consumer and I think they're responding really well to it. They're open to the space and they're curious and they want to be educated and that's exactly what we're doing. How has this all um, transformed your D2C business? Because I remember when you guys were just D2C Mm -hmm. and how um, the shopping experience, you were one of the first people on or one of the few first beauty brands that really kind of helped consumers find what they were looking for based on past purchases. It was very reactive. It was very Mm -hmm. forward thinking Mm -hmm. in the way that now people are thinking about D2C sites. Right. Um, And navigating that experience. How has that changed? I think D2C and retail are actually really complementary. I think a lot of consumers, including myself, I'll go into a store, I'll see a brand, I'll go visit their website, their Instagram page, I'll read the reviews, etc. So I think together, as an omni-channel approach, the whole brand is lifted and the consumer has an opportunity to learn more about the product and take the journey with us. Um, I think the one challenge is that you don't have that direct relationship with the consumer or the data. So I always make sure to stay really in tune with what's being said on the retailer channels as well. Um, Responding to comments on their Instagram posts. Um, Always inviting the consumer back to Kapari's website to learn more about the products, to follow our Instagram channels, to learn more about the brand. Um, So I think it's a very complimentary approach to growing brand awareness and sales. What's the trade-off of that? You know, obviously, you know, are they both growing in step? Is D2C accounting for more or is retail accounting for more? You know, there are certain benefits of picking a lane. Mm-hmm. I think they um, like I said, I think they're actually really complementary and I think convenience is king for consumers. Um, I think that the retailers, again, they've got these amazing audiences that are specifically interested in beauty. So it would be really hard to not have that be part of your portfolio. I also think diversification is really important. I think when you diversify, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Um, And there's that balance. I think uh, for us, they're both growing um, significantly and they're, you know, both doing well. Um, The trade-off is losing that direct connection with the consumer. So who is the man or woman coming to the Kapari website and and talking to you and buying from you? What's that demographic look like or psychographic information about he or she? So we have two uh, really strong demographics. Um, One is kind of in my age group in the 40s, and the other is that millennial mom in the 30s. Um, And I think we cater to such a wide audience, Um, one, because our price point's super approachable. Um, Two, we've got products for 
every category. Um, and three, I think our ingredient story is just very understandable. Our routines are simple. Um, so we really gravitate to a large audience. When you think about convenience, which yeah. we've talked a lot about today, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's international or here in the U.S., I mean, are you considering even larger change formats like a Target, like an Amazon? Mm-hmm. You know, does that feel right to you? Because, you know, those retailers are really, really going after this prestige mm-hmm. lifestyle space. That's a great question. I think today, right now, our main focus is maximizing where we are. Um, and then we're going to be open to growth in the future. But today, um, we've got such incredible partners, so it's really just maximizing those space. I mean, like you said, we're just four years old, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface um, of our potential. So today, our focus is just maximizing those doors. How are you guys thinking about future planning? You know, there's a lot of Mm -hmm. M&A happening in the beauty space right now. A lot of companies getting acquired, lots of funding rounds, valuations are through the roof. Mm -hmm. You know, is this something that you guys want to hold on to? Are you open to being acquired? Um, I think, again, our focus focus is maximizing our potential, always um, thinking about the business, making it sound, being profitable, um, and really diving into the financials and maximizing every dollar. Um, So we're in a high growth phase. Are we going to be bought one day? Maybe, but that's not our focus. Our focus is really on connecting with the consumer, maximizing our business, and creating a really sound business to grow off of. Last question, Gigi. You know, are you surprised at all? You know, there's been such a shift, right, in the landscape about these valuations, these funding rounds, these this M&A activity that we talked about a second ago. But, you know, not a lot of people are talking about profitability. You know, mm-hmm. not a lot of people are talking about, you know, what something is worth isn't what hardline numbers look like inside someone's four walls. Why do you think that is? I think the conversation's changing, and I think they are talking about profitability um, more and more. Do you think that that's something that would potentially investors or business owners are getting smarter about? For sure. I think the conversation's shifting to profitability, um, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And besides maximizing, you know, your footprint indoors that you already in and obviously more growth in product innovation, you know, what else are you thinking about this year? For us, I think one of the projects that are, is most near and dear to my heart is um, we went to Philippines where we source our coconuts. And we had the opportunity, thanks to all of our consumers, to build 20 homes. And they called it Kapari Village for people who lost their homes in natural disasters who work on our groves. And I went there with my husband's son. It's my 17-year-old son and Kiana. And it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my career so far um, to give back to the people who have given so much to us. So our goal is to build another 20 homes um, and we're raising money as we speak. So I really hope we'll be able to do that by the end of the year. Um, Giving back is not only something that is part of my work life, but it's part of my personal life. I think it's so important um, for everyone to keep that in mind because I think that we're all working to make this world a better place, um, feel more connected, um, and just more conscious. Perfect. Thank you so much, Gigi. It was great having you. It was great to be here. I'm happy to see you again. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.